Bismillah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to the Link Up Podcast and Jazakallah khair for tuning in today's episode, episode 2, titled Racism and Justice. Um, inshallah, throughout this series of podcasts, I'll be discussing certain issues, certain topics that have come up in light of lockdown and COVID-19. Um, and in today's episode, uh, I've linked up with a very special guest who I'll introduce in a bit, inshallah. And we'll be talking about the concepts from, of, from the topic, um, this topic of racism that's come up in light of the murder of George Floyd, um, as well as, you know, the recent um, protests that have gone on in the UK and US, as well as, you know, all this uh, activism that we've seen on social media to do with racism and Black Lives Matter. You know, um, inshallah, throughout this podcast, we'll be talking about, you know, why where has racism come from and why does racism still exist in the most prominent i'm sorry in the most developed and prosperous countries such as the uk and the us um and also true path to justice not only for the black community but for us as muslims and most importantly for the whole of humanity so without further ado i'll introduce my guest assalamu alaikum bro how are you doing Alaikum sam i'm doing well alhamdulillah how are you doing i'm good alhamdulillah um introduce yourself man who are you what are you about where you're from I'm Salim from Nottingham. Um, I'm not. I don't think there's much about me that's so interesting, to be honest. Aside from that, um, are you finding um, will this somewhat <clears throat> kind of lockdown, whatever, will whatever this is, thing, how are you finding it? How are you coping with it? I, I've actually, I actually tested positive for COVID. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, but yeah, alhamdulillah, the um, symptoms weren't that, that bad. It, for me, it was just a fever. Like, uh, if it was in the winter, I wouldn't have probably even picked up on the idea of it being anything different uh, than just like a normal fever. But yeah, I'm... strengthen your health, inshallah. I mean, um, and like, how are you finding you know this nice weather and everything? How you? Think it, think it, I'm I'm, I'm loving the weather, man, because I'm doing a lot of work in the garden, so uh, I, I like to do that kind of thing. So um, it's yeah. it's the best it's opportunity for me. Um, yeah, so obviously, <clears> as you know, you know. Um, what was going on over the past couple of weeks? The murder of George Floyd. You know, we, well, I woke up to seeing, you know, the this video of the police officer literally putting his knee on George Floyd's neck, and all you could hear was, "I can't breathe." And that those three words, "I can't breathe," <coughs> has been made so powerful, mm. you know. And we've seen you know, this, from from his murder, we've seen loads of things come about. People and demonstration in the U.S., which is now led in the U.K. People, especially on social media, going, you know, raising their voices, chain the DPs to black, you know, making posts about racism and everything. Um, you know, I want to ask you, you know, what's, you know, someone like, what's happened? You know, how have we got into the situation? Why did that this thing with the murder of George Floyd has become such a big thing? I think um, what points, what, what, what stands out more than anything to me during BLM is that it's not the start of any uh, outrage it, it's actually at the end point of of an outrage that has existed for uh, centuries so uh, what you'll find in a lot of um, discourse or in a lot of tweets for example or even a lot of videos of, of these protests is people aren't saying things like um we've decided that black lives matter <laughs> right what, what you'll find is no we've been saying this for a very long time and we're frustrated and we're angry now that after all of this time, this is still going on and the message still hasn't gotten across. So we've had to make it as simple as possible just with this one slogan that our lives matter. <clears throat> and that now that after all that saying, we don't actually think that this is actually going to work. So you found, I found, for example, one 
video of a guy, uh, one tweet, sorry, of a guy, in, in fact, where he's like, look, when I was a kid, I, I had to explain one example, one of one issue. Uh, one, one issue had to be explained to me. So he goes, my daughter's eight. I'm explaining to her about George Floyd. When my son was six, I was explaining Trayvon Martin. When I was 12, my mom was explaining Rodney King. When she was six, her mom was explaining Emmett Till. It's tiring being black in America. So it's a, such a long-standing issue. And BLM has now uh, taken a position on of uh, we're sick of it and, and we don't know what else to do. Like I think <clears> people they just become like because they're seeing this fight history again and again. This isn't like a new thing. <coughs> Something's happening again and again and again. Be in America, be mainly America and so much some extent in the UK, but mainly America people are constantly seeing this attack on the black people constantly, constantly, constantly. And you know, one question that has come into light is the attitude of police because you know from this the murder George Floyd, we're seeing a load of videos of like. Police chasing down people, shooting them down. Um, you know, police literally. Um, some people call it, you know uh, abuse of force, where they literally like you know holding people very <coughs> aggressively, um, ab essentially abusing their power. You know, why is that? Some police have this kind of mentality. What? what why do you think that is? I mean, it's it's quite a broad question, but I, I'd say it's uh, it's not just the mentality of, of of police. It's it's actually a mentality that exists in light of a, a history of black people systemically being treated in a certain way. So you've had, uh, obviously, the fa the obvious uh, issue is at, at the start of all this was was slavery from from the time of uh, the the early stages of colonialism, where black people were brought from Africa uh, to America uh, forcibly as slaves. Uh, taking captives and and made to work right then after uh, slavery you were you had uh, emancipation but as a result of emancipation you, you then had the problem of segregation and then after civil rights movements then that changed to what we'd probably consider like the current stage <clears throat> so it's not just an attitude that people have people kind of think uh, racism is as just like oh there's just an individual carrying a prejudice but it's not just individual police officers who are just looking down on black people. It's individual police officers looking down as a result of the system treating black people in a certain way and black people historically not being equal to white people as a result of slavery, as a result of segregation, all top-down initiatives to put black people in a certain position in society. You know, it's a brilliant point made about history, you know, how on that, you know, I don't think that you know this issue of essentially police brutality, how certain um, ethnic groups, if you want to put it that way, have been treated in a certain way by the police because of police brutality. I don't think it's because of police brutality. I think that you know, if history shows anything, it's a certain mentality, a certain mindset that has been brewed. And this is what I think, and honestly, I don't know what, what your thoughts are on this, but I think is that because, <laughs> especially in the US, in the leading world the, the world you know the country which um praises themselves on being you know the free nation where freedom is this high value um which they kind of like um champion on you know i feel like a lot of people especially um these you know these officers in general they kind of misabuse that thing of freedom in it and we see it in some extent when the us or the uk when they or the us when they send the armies to iran and afghanistan you know how the people are treated um 
in those camps in you know when people are detained there's a famous um case that, like, that came about in the abu ghari prison where pictures came out of naked men um that were just piled up each other and you saw us us um, army soldiers who were just there just smiling i think that you know this thing of like oppression against minority it's come from again history because of how they were with most of the world they saw themselves as the white man they saw themselves as you know we're the best we have the best ideas we have the best way of living so we need to go out and dominate the whole world and make people in essence worship us and because they had that kind of like you want to say that god complex you know we've seen not just in history but even now <coughs> they they misabuse that power i don't know what do you think about that i think it's, it's very clear isn't it that when establishment thinks that it can get away with something it, it will do it <clears throat> right so you, you can see that pattern across many things so this the police brutality example is one where uh, only now or recently has it become a trend to actually start recording what police are doing but if you look at the remarks of many people who have experienced this they've said this has always been going on we're not surprised by this it's just that now it's on camera so now there's a bit more scrutiny of, of what's going on and you can further prove that they're only doing this because they think they can get away with it by how when the response to the, the the outrage is just saving face so for example the police officer who was responsible for killing george floyd was charged with third degree third degree murder right that's just scapegoating so the establishment the question of what establishment has done towards police the question of how uh, disproportionately black people are killed by police is not really addressed if it's addressed it's probably just an extra seminar or maybe we'll just give better training we'll teach you instead of choking them to death do something else with them right it's that's just kind of mitigated and the main focus is just okay how can we just quash how can we pacify people who are outraged over this one incident or how can we turn it into just this one incident scapegoat the guy get rid of him punish him and then just business as usual that's proof in and of itself that actually <clears throat> we just want to make sure people aren't as angry with us anymore. As well, it's interesting that you mentioned that point, man. You know how, essentially, look, you know, racism or yeah, this thing of racism, these incidents that we see, those are these murders we see, you know, they're constantly going to be happening. George Floyd was just one of many that's unfortunately going to be inevitable. It's going to happen when you live under a society that is essentially, um, when, when this kind of this mentality of, you know, race with these racial traits are kind of like um, pushed in the society, and and more and more these things are going to happen. But you know, like you know how you mentioned before, how um, <coughs> you know throughout history we've seen, especially during the colonization period, how you know the Western nation had they went around these different countries, especially Africa, mm. and they were more or less the initiators of the, of the slave trade, and that kind of started this racist mentality, which we see um, stemming in society today. Mm. If you don't mind, just elaborating more on that, so you probably just. So the audience can just get a better picture of a better picture of where this racist mentality has come from. So look, Western nations went to other countries, majority of uh, of uh, Africa, if if not all, and and Asia, on the premise that we are superior nations and we're here to spread a way of life and take advantage of you. So in in especially in Africa, the the motivation was to purely just take. So, so on that premise, black people, or the, as in, i.e., the people who were indigenous to to Africa, were just seen as lesser people 
who we can, they have no rights. They're not of our nations. In fact, during uh, World War One, we kind of we kind of see examples of how there's an assumed superiority. So, for example, in in World War One, did you know that that's when they started using machine guns on other white people? I.e., when, um, uh, for example, the French and the Germans were fighting, that's when machine guns started being used. Before that, it was seen as no machine guns. We can't use it on amongst ourselves. We can't use it on 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 a fellow European. That ha- these machine guns are only used for the slaughter of lesser inferior. Uh, Africans or Asians. <laughs> so there was always an assumption we're a superior nation as part of and as part of our nationalist endeavor, we're going to go to these other nations and do what the hell we want. You know what I find <clears> so funny is how um you know, especially in like South Asian countries, how West they kind of paint this very nice you want this nice fair talk kind of picture that you know that we're this great country, look at how prospered we are look at how advanced we are look at our people look at how much prosperity there is within our people <laughs> and all this kind of stuff in it and they kind of make it as they kind of paint this picture that you know if you come to our country you can become one of us you can be part of this kind of like revolution per se you know my question to you bro is can western nations because we've seen you know clear as day that racism is going to be a constant ongoing issue within western nations it's something that's never going to be able to it's something, that's, something that's never going to stop. They may be able, like you said, scapegoat it, put the blame on somebody else, something else. The reality is these things are going to constantly, constantly occur. Do you think that <coughs> Western nations would ever be able to unite a people together and create that kind of harmony and tranquility, you know, essentially unity amongst the people? Well, so, well, let's look at it in practice. So far, for the last almost 200 years now since emancipation of black people, what have... This uh, this is why we can learn so much from BLM. What have uh, what has what unity has been achieved after so many efforts on part of the black people who who were brought to America and treated so badly after all of their efforts to uh, integrate to become part of society to become equals they've done demonstrations with all these civil rights movements uh, in different places like uh, Birmingham not not your Birmingham but <laughs> Birmingham in America and Atlanta you had demonstrations like that seeking to raise awareness and and build a dialogue or advocating uh, different things like boycott and so on right then you had so many legal battles trying to um essentially justify their existence so you had like George Steeny Jr Right, a very famous example. They actually made a movie about him, right? And he kind of represents how the justice system taught, taught uh, uh, um, sorry, uh, treated uh, black people, right? Where he was, uh, I think, a fourteen-year-old boy, right? And he was electrocuted uh, to death over over a crime which he didn't commit, right? And it took seventy years. So only recently, like in the last few years, I think, his his crime was actually exonerated, right? So you have. Uh, you had black people attempting through legal approaches to just win court cases, which were biased, completely biased against them. You had, you have, uh, you've had black people participate politically. So despite loads of attempts, which uh, many argue to be uh, cases of like trying to suppress the the black vote, trying to stop people from uh, stop black people from voting, you've had so many attempts on part of black people to participate in the system, to play by the rules, yeah, to become of influence and gain their rights through the boxes 
that American establishment or even British establishment has provided them. Right? You've even had it's, it's a it's a typical example, but you you you've even you even had a black president. So somebody at the very top position, right, achieving to that level, right? So they've exhausted that avenue of political participation. Not only that, but you've they've exhausted media representation. So they've you you like if you think of some of the most famous actors, you think of a lot of black people, Will Smith, right? If you think of a lot of comedians, you think Kevin Hart, or if you think uh, uh, you think of so many different. You, you if you think of famous TV shows, you think of Fresh Prince, right? So there's so many so much representation even. So they they've even explored that and they've exceeded in that to the point where they've actually they're actually more popular amongst many demographics than their white counterparts. <clears throat> But despite that, despite all of these attempts, even in music, how can you look at so many of these music industries without thinking of key famous black figures who pioneered in, in these industries? So through all of these uh, uh, examples, demonstrations, legal battles, political participation, media representation, even education and career, black people have exhausted that. Yet they're still not equal to their white counterparts. So what does that tell you about the possibility of uh, secular American establishment or British establishment uh, achieving equality amongst people who have ticked all the boxes, played by the rules, done everything they possibly can to attain this imaginary equality? It's impossible. I think that, you know, because of, like you said, the point about how from history, you know, the white man, because, you know, <coughs> um, because they saw themselves as, because they had this thing in their head that, you know, that we're the superior being, that everyone needs to be kind of under our rule. If you're not us, then you're not worthy of our <laughs> of our time or whatever, yeah? I think that, you know, even looking wider beyond the black community, I think you see that, you know, the Western nations, they'll never be able to unite a people, bond a people, um, be it black, be it brown, be it whatever you are, yeah? You can be anything. So if you're not white, because you know the way how I see it, the way they bond people is essentially like this. That <laughs> if you're not from our locality and it doesn't mean just from that like, you're not from our same city or country whatever in terms of if within that locality even if you're from there but if you don't share our ideas our views our for example our traditions our cultures our etiquette <coughs> then it's really and truly not one of us and we see that in like you know you mentioned perfect examples of how like you know even though they've got like you know um black judges black presidents you know all this kind of stuff you've got all these kind of like um, ethnic minority representation all over the world, but still there's racism. We even see in terms of jobs, when it comes to jobs, you know, if myself or yourself was to go up, you know, to go for a job in a, a big firm and our competitors were, for example, a white person, my terms out of 10, we'd be rejected. That's the reality in it. And it, even though we may be probably more qualified, we may probably have a lot of experience, but nine times out of 10 will be rejected because again, because of that um, mentality that is, constantly pushed in Western nations. And you can see that, unfortunately, because this is how, from the basis, how they bind people together, that if you're not one of us, if you don't share, if you're not, if you're not the same color as us, if you're not, um, if you don't have our, our ideas, our values, our traditions, our customs, then we're going to treat you like scum of the earth. That's just the reality. We may paint this picture that, you know what, <laughs> that, you know, we accept you, we accept you, but reality, we, we, uh, we don't like you. We only do that just so other people can, so we can kind of exploit other people and benefit from them. Um, and, you know, it kind of brings me to my 
kind of next question, which is kind of what we talked about at the beginning, how on social media, um, this thing of racism has become very, very big. I think, to be honest with you, I found out a lot about racism um, and the history of the black people through racism because you saw a lot of people changing their DPs to black. You saw many, you know, the whole thing of um, Blackout Tuesday. Um, yep. And just people genuinely supporting, making posts about the history of racism, how racism is wrong and everything in it. Um, and we saw a lot of people go on demonstrations and everything. And I want to ask you, bro, you know, you know, this this issue of racism from the murder of George Floyd is brought up a lot of, lot of tension, a lot of tension in it. And some may say that it is stepping stone for bringing about change within Western societies. Um, you know, will this bring about change? I think even the people protesting in BLM know. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the reason that they're actually doing these protests is because they've started to realize or they have realized that after all of these years of trying to play by the rules and fit in and integrate and therefore bring about a change where they can become equal, it doesn't work. And because it doesn't work, now they're protesting this way to say we're fed up. We're frustrated. There's nothing we can do to solve it. So even there, even from BLM's perspective, forget an outsider's perspective, but BLM's perspective is this ain't going to solve anything. We're angry. But do you think that people have? Do you think it just? Do you think that it's just a reactionary kind of thing, or do you think that people have actually thought about you know what that system messed up? We're tired, like you said, we're constantly tired of having to like appease the white man. So now we're gonna go all out. Do you think they've actually clocked on the fact that? system messed up that system messed up it needs to change or you think that they're just like kind of like you know what we've tried this now we're going to try this you think that they're kind of still trying to work within the same framework of the system that they're kind of currently governing under i think at the moment there's not really a question of the system there's mention of the system so there's mention of uh police but system here means police police training or system here means like okay, uh, the 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 government. So for example, in the in the UK, the system causes austerity. Nobody really disputes that, right? But system means okay, the Tories bring in somebody else, right? The system to many people, it's not very clear. So for different people, it could mean okay, the Trump administration. Okay, the uh, the system actually racism precedes Trump. So uh, the system is therefore uh, I don't know, like this institution, this judiciary. Or this uh, uh, brand of of uh, establishment, or this aspect of it, right? Or even if if they were to question like a collection of the institutions within like America or, or Britain, it it's just mention of it, right? Whereas for the but for the most part, I think a, a lot of these protests, um, rather than something that kind of seeks to uh, do something about the system or change that. It's just the voice of concern and frustration to say, look, this is the way things are. We've tried to play by the rules of the system and it doesn't work. And now we don't know what to do. And now we're angry. You know, some people, they argue with you. They say to you, no, but we need to, but we need to, you know, raise our awareness. If everyone raises their voice, be you're black, whatever you are, um, it will create change. They think if everyone, you know, I saw so many of my mates who messaged me, um, some people on my Insta story and Snapchat story who just kind of like, you know what, don't stay silent on this. If, you know, if everyone raises their voice, everyone shows concern, everyone, you know, just make some noise, you know, we'll bring about change or this will be a stepping stone to change. 
I think like, most people who, uh, for who I've seen, who talk about raising awareness, uh, they don't do so on the with the expectation that it's actually going to do anything. I don't think. I think for most, for the most part, it's almost like imagine your house is burning down. You've evacuated yeah. the house and you've seen your house burning down. You've tried everything to stop that fire, but the fire has just taken over. For a lot of people, they might start crying. They might start uh, calling their neighbors. They might say, please do something. But I don't think they expect that house to be saved. They're doing that as a final resort of almost like a desperation. So I think the raising awareness part, for the most part, it's uh, it's not an expectation to change anything. It's it's a voice of frustration after many attempts beforehand to try and change something. So, because this is the thing, right? We see awareness raising and BLM, or a lot of people, they'll see it as the starting point, especially people new to racism or new to kind of like the concept that, oh, have, have black people really been oppressed this way? Is, is this really a problem? Uh, for them, they'll think, oh, well, why, why are you pulling down statues, for example? Why can't you just talk about it? Why can't you just do this? Why can't you this? Why can't you that? And the, the irony is that for the last 200, 300, 400 years, all of these things, all of these suggestions, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? They've all been tried. You can try and you can think up of any kind of way. Okay, well, you should, uh, you should try this avenue. Guaranteed that they've tried this. So the, after all of these attempts to change the situation, now it's kind of like, okay, we can't change the situation. We need to shout about it until we can find an answer to what we can now do about it in desperation. And I think for the people, for the people who do still think that uh, raising awareness is a way to change things, just ask the okay, what do you expect to happen from it? Okay, every, every the whole world is now aware of racism. In fact, yeah, raising awareness has succeeded in many cases. Everyone's aware of racism now, basically, apart from a handful. Most people, if you say, do you know what BLM is? They'll say, yeah, what does BLM mean? Black Lives Matter. And then they'll eat different people will give their different perspectives on it, right? But the, the awareness is there now. It's in all the newspapers, it's in the media. People, everyone's talk, arguing, uh, do we pull down statues or not? Or what? <laughs> it's all over. So the awareness has been raised now, just as the awareness was raised during the uh, demonstrations in uh, Birmingham and, and, and Atlanta, just as awareness was raised by media representation through figures like Muhammad Ali, just as awareness was raised in the Fresh Prince, just as awareness was raised in the so, in so many different uh, figures who who fought against racism, <coughs> right? But then, where you when you ask the question, okay, where do you want to go with that? Uh, we don't know. Uh, humanity, uh, a change. It's it's kind of general things because nobody truly deep down actually expects a difference to come about. They want a difference, but they don't expect the difference. That's the difference. That's the uh, nuance there. I think it's about like, <coughs> obviously, they, I think everyone doesn't want difference because they've constantly seen, you know, the oppression happening here throughout the whole history. And like you said, they tried different, different avenues. They've exhausted all, all efforts to try and stop <coughs> this from happening. But then they realize, you know what? This isn't going to stop now. So we're fed up. We're going to raise our voices and pray to God that something happens in it. Well, if, if, you, if you really scrutinize, what is the outcome of awareness raising? One police officer scapegoated, give him a third degree, not even a proper murder murder charge, third degree murder, right? So that's like, mm -hmm. uh, like there's a video actually going around of one, I'm not sure if it's directly the guy who put his knee on George Floyd's neck or, or some one of the police officers who just stood there with their hands in the pockets. But one of them was recorded in on bail in, in the supermarket and someone's recording him saying, do you think you can get away with this? 
<laughs> because this is this is what this is what the uh, escape even even the outcome which is not good is still not great on even on the level of scapegoating because it's just like well he's he's walking around just with a sad face <laughs> so so from a awareness raising perspective if you scrutinize the outcome of it it's still not even like a satisfactory outcome <coughs> and you know kind of a different point in it but it's kind of brought to my mind the question of you know as muslims we see so many issues happening you know be um um, um <coughs> in, in the west for muslims or in the muslim lands but in the west being the issues of islamophobia or the hijab of the the women's hijab all this kind of stuff isn't it? and in the muslim world you know palestine this whole two this whole two state solution that is constantly being proposed with kind of not being the thing of israel taking over completely or the the you want to say the holocaust of the of our brothers in east pakistan um and we see many many muslims who have kind of you know they've tried to like do whatever they can to make a change for themselves for their brothers sisters around the world and you know what are your thoughts on how, for example the black community or um or members of this blm kind of movement have dealt with it compared to the the, the muslim community i think in terms of making some kind of change I think, for their own people for 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 a lot of us we can learn from blm in in the sense that we know that this the black community have exhausted every step they can to play by the rules and get some kind of change right they've we can we can try uh, every trick in the book or every step for example when it comes to islamophobia in the uk or when it comes to uh, you know how you mentioned earlier about jobs likelihood to get a job right there's a whole religious inequality issue uh, or when it comes to representation in the media when it comes to all loads of different issues that we have let's start with locally for now right so when it comes to all these issues right a lot of muslims will think okay well we need to participate politically we need to get more muslim actors we need to get muslim comedians we need to get uh, muslim uh, journalists we need to get muslim this muslim that right and if you uh, scrutinize it what we're we actually doing we're just repeating the same steps as the black community has for centuries because they've been in western society for a lot longer than muslims have as a community right whether that's in america or, or in the uk <coughs> maybe uk is a bit more closer in in time right but for 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 the most part you can give any avenue whether it's political participation whether it's media representation whether it's education whether it's careers and guaranteed you'll find the black community has exhausted them steps already to a much greater extent than any muslim ever will and the reason i say to a much greater extent is how likely do you uh, suppose that you will get muslim actors at the same level as a lot of the black actors today how how likely do you think it is that you get uh, muslim um politicians to the same level that you've had black politicians it's unlikely because in addition to the whole uh to the barriers surrounding that just from the system side there are also uh, restrictions restrictions from a hukum perspective so we obviously we as muslims the muslim community uh, uh, adheres to a lot more rules and and a lot more principles that differ from 
uh, like acting or uh, like a lot of the things in political establishment which will further restrict us. So even if we were to try and exhaust all of these different avenues the same way, we won't even exhaust them to the extent that the black community has already exhausted that. So not only will we be repeating history, if we kind of entertain this thing, we'll be repeating history in a lesser extent. So, but then, like, yeah, go on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, my, my <coughs> thing is that, like, you know, that is true what you said, because look, really and truly, the black community, they've done, you know, they've faced this um, 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 prejudice um, more longer than most communities have, and they've done whatever they can to try and seek some kind of justice in it. Yeah. But to what avail? And you know what I see is that the Muslims, I don't know, is like, we don't really see that how this, the, um, how, Western political systems, they won't, they, <laughs> uh, they won't work. They won't work, um, in essence, for us. And they won't work to cater for us as Muslims in terms of our values, our beliefs, etc. And but I don't understand. You know, the one thing which kind of has always baffled me is why is that constantly Muslims? You know, whenever we go to an issue, an issue that affects our beliefs, our beliefs, we always look to the system. Um, you know, to try and come up with a solution. Um. We all go to democracy to try and to try and like you know um, come up with a solution. This whole thing of RSC, whole thing of um, again Islamophobia, all this kind of stuff in it. And you know what I, what I think it comes from? I think it comes from again history, because the Brit, the, you know, the Britain, they didn't just colonize Africa. They colonized, they colonialized um, um, the, uh, South Asia as well. And you know what I get is that, like, especially when I go back home to see like my family members. Uh, the effect that Britain has had on these countries is more, it's been like a master, um, uh, um, a master servant kind of mentality that we're your master, we're essentially your, uh, your God, you should, um, love us, you should want to be like us, you should want to do everything you can to please us, isn't it? That's why you see a lot of people, they love, you know, especially from back home, they love, you know, UK, US, because they see these countries as the most, um, they see countries are like the most developed countries. They see, you know, anything that the, that these countries are doing, we need to be like them. And I think that's where it comes from. This kind of like inferiority, com- inferiority complex that a lot of Muslims have in that you know that we can't do anything. You know that these lot they kind of like you know of course they have problems here and there, but they're making it in the world, and you know they they're the world's greatest superpower. So obviously we should look to them, you know, for for solutions. What are your thoughts on that, bro? I think fundamentally. We, we Muslims, if you, you know how you mentioned history, Muslims arrived in uh, Western countries on, mm. on, so in America, a lot of Muslims arrived uh, as, as uh, actually, through, in fact, they, a lot of them arrived through the slave trade, or a lot of them arrived as, as black Muslims who, who uh, uh, ended up in, a, that's for America, right? And then in Britain, it's, it's more uh, along the lines of economic migration uh, from from the Indian subcontinent, right? So, uh, like you mentioned about India and, and South Asia, yeah. So, but for the most part, both uh, elements of of this migration, let's let's keep in mind, it was migration. So, mm-hmm. in in Muslims as as a population, the bulk of us aren't actually indigenous to these societies so from the onset these uh, these countries were never premised on the basis of uh, we're the same as as muslims they were that's why there's always remained an assumption that we you have a host 
community and a migrant community or a foreign community. So Muslims will always be seen as like the outsider, whether that's in 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 the UK or in America. Why? Because the the society was never premised on it being a place for Muslims in the first place. Pre-1924, Muslims had a place to belong to. We had the Islamic State. We had the Ottoman Empire. <clears throat> that was where Muslims belonged to. For the subcontinent, it was uh, it was the the Mughals. Mughals. For the uh, for for North Africa, it was it was still the the Caliphate, right? So Muslims in the in our in generally speaking in in our quote unquote home countries or, or home regions, we historically belonged there. Right, and then post 1924, you had two world wars, and as a result of, the, uh, and and in pre, obviously pre 1924 with slavery, where uh, Muslims were forcibly taken abroad to America, and then you have uh, post 1924, post two two world wars, and now you have Muslims in the UK as well, right? So obviously before that there were a handful of minorities, but for the large part, Muslims came to UK as uh, as economic migrants, and after that, what what is it? Uh, what, what what are we trying to do in these Western countries? We're trying to solve a fundamentally unsolvable problem. We're trying to fit into a place we inherently just never belonged to in the first place. And because we don't belong here, which is the frank truth, we're always going to live with this assumption you don't belong here from uh, who, who, who we'd actually consider the host state or the host uh, community. <coughs> uh. I really found what you said, man. Like how we try to, like as Muslims, we try to look for solutions from a um, within a framework that, in essence, will never, ever, ever, ever cater for our values. We never ever cater for our beliefs, our needs as Muslims first and foremost. And um, like you said, because we don't belong here, um, and we belonged in a place before, but unfortunately, because of history and how. These Western nations have kind of like <coughs> their the part they played in destroying this, uh, you know, our our original place of home. Um, we've kind of stuck in this rut now of constantly having to go to essentially our oppressor to um, to solve the, the 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 oppression that they've kind of started. Yeah, and, and also it's like uh, if you look at the Sahaba, for example, Radhiallahu they approached other nations on the premise that. We are from our own civilization. We represent Islam and we've come to spread that Islam to you. We've not come to seek a new life as part of your civilization. We've come to spread Islam. Right. So, for example, Rabi ibn Amr is a famous uh, example where, where he visited uh, uh, Rustum, a Persian general. Right. And then the Rustum, the Persian general, he goes, why did you come to Persia? And then uh, Rabia ibn Amr said, uh, "Allah Azza wa Jal has sent us to deliver you to uh, to deliver you from worshiping the creation to worshiping the Creator of creation, and to deliver you from the constriction of this world to the vastness of this world and the hereafter, and from the oppression of the religions to the justice of Islam. Allah Azza wa Jal has sent us to save you from worshiping each other." So the premise on which Muslims have historically uh, spread across the world is we've come because our civilization is the place you should belong to, not that we should belong to your civilization, right? Whereas post-1924, post-World War II, <coughs> you've got, okay, 
we have nowhere to belong and now we're trying to solve an unsolvable problem which is fit into your civilization which historically we never even thought you belong to let alone us right so, so now that you're trying to solve this unsolvable problem just to take you back to your question right about why do we muslims resort to the system and so on we're trying to fit into this system and now by to fit into the system we're repeating history because these were the avenues given to us by this same system to now tick all the boxes participate politically integrate uh, uh represent in yourself in in the media go into the news become a journalist uh set up all these schools and institutions uh get a good job uh and and tick all the boxes to become an equal uh, society and the outcome of seeking that the outcome of seeking the restriction of this creation the outcome of seeking the restrictiveness of this dunya is half as much as the outcome of what you, what you see today which is George Floyd and BLM <laughs> so so this is this is this is the game we're trying to play and as a result of that game this is why we're resorting to a system that doesn't work you know and you kind of being could you mention the whole thing of how islam you kind of we never saw it as a thing of why we should belong to you and it is when we when we went to different parts of the world <laughs> we kind of said to them that you know this is why you should join us yes because we took you because islam brought mankind out of this dark um and you know filthy situation of jahiliya ignorance and brought them into a lighter in a more greater situation and it yeah um, and look also yeah. out of interest we were talking about colonialism how the colonialists mm-hmm. infor- uh, forcibly brought over black people to america on the premise of uh, we're americans we're this nation we're that nation and we're the superior one coming to bring you guys out of this darkness right But if you look at Muslims how they spread to all these even our home nations uh, um South, uh, South Asia right Muslims who now live in these regions whether it be North Africa East Africa even West Africa uh, uh whether it be South Asia whether it be Central Asia in all of these regions Muslims have embraced that civilization so 1924 was when we saw the end of Islamic Islam as we know it basically right and 100 years later islamic civilization is non-existent right and even after that you still see in all of these regions the people indigenous to to them places embracing islam or like still at, uh, having an attachment to islam still carrying the remnants of that civilization in their culture and actually taking pride in that right so 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 while you have on the one case a historical precedent of americans and british society where people are tearing down statues and you know it's quite funny because right wing people are saying if you're going to tear down statues of uh, uh winston churchill and 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 all these slave traders then tear down statues and tear down mosques uh, that are relevant to islam so obviously they'll give the funny uh, argument of uh, tear down uh, statues of the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and and people and people are laughing at that because obviously there's no statues but if you think about it why aren't uh, people indigenous to these different areas that aren't uh, the arabian peninsula why aren't people tearing down mosques as in the general population why are they not doing that mm-hmm. you see it from governments but generally speaking you're not you you don't see it from the everyday people there's no attempt mm-hmm. by them to think you know what let's tear down this mosque let's 
uh, get rid of this relic. Let's get rid of that relic. In fact, you'll get people paying for museums. You get people paying to go to Hajj. You get people paying to restore this mosque. We'll get people paying to restore that. You get people petitioning to say, uh, let us have this mosque back. You get people saying, let us put petition to build this new mosque. You have people from different countries trying to, okay, let's build a mosque in Nigeria, <laughs> right? So, so let's, there's so many attempts from all these different people across the globe to maintain whatever connection they have to Islamic civilization on the one hand when Islam spread to these places. And on the other hand, you've got attempts to destroy whatever remnants of colonialism are, are left and, and still remain, actually. I'd argue colonialism is still going on, but you've got attempts to detach from that. So look at the contrast. Yes, well, that's so beautiful. Like, this shows again, you know, when Islam spread to the world and we and when we came to different countries, you know, we brought justice to those lands and those people, they embraced us wholeheartedly because they knew that what we had was not only the truth, but what we had would bring harmony to those people, would bring justice and would actually unite these people upon, you know, one um, clear vision and that would bring tranquility within the society itself whereas compared to western colonialism you know the western nations when they went around and um bluntly from say very bluntly invaded different countries <laughs> they not only completely ransacked and just left it for scraps they divided the people further they you know have just completely caused so much misery in those lands and we and it's kind of like what what we see, you know, the people's reaction towards these countries today. Like some countries, I believe in African um, subcontinent, uh, they really really have deep in a hatred for the uh, uh, for for Britain because of how they treated them during the um, colonization period. And even what we see today with people taking statues down of Winston Churchill and and of his likes because they knew that what when they came to different countries, all they brought was just misery in, and injustice. As well, like, you know, kind of being on to my final, <coughs> my final question for himself. You know, we talked about a lot of things, many, many, many things um, with regards to racism, George Floyd, history, um, a bit on the Islam perspective, as well as comparing, you know, that the cause of this was essentially how, uh, we, as a result of British history and how and what and what they did when they went out different countries compared to Islam, and we compared it to what Islam did. Um, you know, from a Muslim point of view. How should we as Muslims view this thing of racism um, and like, you know, and what and what kind of message should we not only take for ourselves, but also when we're having discussions on this stuff with our friends, with our family, with our community, what kind of message should we be um, um, uh, uh, promoting as Muslims? I would say the first and key message uh, that we should understand is that these pro our problems aren't going to go away and they're never going to go away. As long as we live in Western society, right? We, uh, the black community and the Muslim community together have collectively tried for centuries to attain some kind of uh, equal playing field, right? But they've not achieved it, right? Uh, not because of them, but because the establishment simply is, is unsolvably racist or unsolvably uh, problematic to any uh, people it recognizes as foreign. So because of that, accept the harsh truth that racism, Islamophobia, and all of these problems that come about as trying to live in, a, from trying to live in, in, in this society, they're not going to go away. They're unsolvable. You can't solve it. Don't expect to. Once you agree, agree with that, look forward to, okay, what should we be doing instead? 
look towards a place you can actually truly belong. Allah, and I think, you know, as Muslims should understand <clears throat> that, you know, that our justice, not just for us as Muslims, for the world, you know, we see these problems around the world. We should always view as a look, what Islam's view on this? And we see so many, um, you know, in light of this, um, you know, George Floyd murder and this whole thing of racism. We've seen many um, Muslim uh, um, scholars, Shaykh and Duat, they've come out and they've kind of like given some kind of like, you know, Islamic kind of um, perspective on this. Be it via the story of Bilal and be it via the story of kind of what you mentioned, um, Abd- uh, 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 um, Abdullah ibn Amr, you know, you're showing how from Islam we don't agree with racism. But now that we don't agree with racism, Islam completely eradicated racism. Islam completely eradicated and replaced it with this thing of one ummah, that we are one ummah. The Prophet said, you know, it's a very famous quote from his last khutbah that looked them, that um, an Arab is, is not superior than a non-Arab, nor is a non-Arab superior to an Arab, and a black man isn't superior to a white man, nor is a white man superior of a black man. <coughs> you know, essentially looked at everyone in the eyes of Allah is equal except, uh, um, except from their taqwa, yeah? And obviously your taqwa, no one can actually measure. Only Allah knows, you know, how your taqwa is. So in the eyes of Islam, you know, regardless of your black, white, brown, yellow, whatever you are, yeah, you know, you're one people. You are not different, different people. And, you know, Islam, and we can see the fruits of that, how from that, just one, that one idea of one ummah, how it stemmed within a society, how it stemmed under a system and united and brought harmony to people you within their own countries, they had so much civil um, disputes. But you have a um, nation that's built on the belief that there exist nations that are not just uh, a different tribe, but they're, they're nations that each believe are superior to the other. Then fundamentally, you're in for a problem, especially given that uh, Western societies, for example, they don't really adopt a belief on where, where did humans come from. Where, where did we come? So there's no belief even in the fact that we're all related in the sense that we all come from, we're all Bani Adam and we all uh, uh, are, are one, essentially one big family that, um, uh, th- that are here for a common objective to live and die for, right? <laughs> Effectively, the, the, from the onset of their belief, it's no, we, we exist as superior nations. Whereas in Islam, it's not, it's not that Islam solves racism because solve racism kind of implies the world is the way it is. We're going to come along, preach what we have to say, and somehow we're going to just like tick off racism as, okay, we've gotten rid of that now. What's the next problem? Instead, Islam reconstructs, yeah, this is what it came for. It came to reconstruct the world in such a way that the problem wouldn't even exist in the first place for it to need solving. So there would never be a case of, oh, we believe our people are inherently superior to the next person. In fact, People like to give the example of Bilal, but even, uh, um, so for example, in, in during the, the Meccan period of the Seerah, you had uh, this, some members of the Sahaba actually seeking protection from uh, a Christian uh, uh, king, Najashi, in Abyssinia. So what does that tell you about the perspective of nations that aren't part of the Arabian Peninsula where who who Muslims are now <clears throat> going to seek protection from? If there was a perception of uh, superiority, there would never be a concept of oh, okay, uh, we will therefore go to 
uh, we can't go to this country. We'll have to go to uh, Kazakhstan or something like that, right? <laughs> there's, there's no, there's, there was no concept. It was no, uh, what, what, wh who, who are the people where we could actually seek this value from, right? There was never a perception of, okay, we're going to reserve machine guns for the lesser races and we're going to use more honorable uh, weapons for Arabs, right? There was no concept of that. So for so on the onset of how Islam seeks to construct the world, it's not seeking to construct it in a way where you're that nation, we're this nation, we're that nation, we're that nation. It's the world is constructed in a way where we are all human beings that have been sent to this earth for a common purpose that we have to live and die for. Now that's what we're going to spread this this uh, deen to the world for. Mm, I think, you know what? That's a beautiful point to end on, man. That how again the beauty of Islam, the kind of justice it brings to the world, and it how it unites people under one vision, one cause, as essentially one family, and doesn't. And how when Islam spread throughout the world, how it didn't cause, you know, how we never even sought to how we actually eradicate these problems that that were existing in the world, and it, it brought better solutions to these problems, and it. And so I'm like, you know, <coughs> I think that's a beautiful point to end on. And, you know, um, just to wrap up, inshallah, you know, alhamdulillah, today's podcast, we discuss the issue of racism from the murder of George Floyd. We discuss many, many issues. We discuss, you know, how, from a historical context, how, you know, where, you know, where this issue, where this thing of racism has stemmed from. Um, and we discussed essentially how, um, how Western nations, they can't bind people together solely because of how they view people. And also, we, we talked about, um, yeah, we talked about issues of how Muslims, how when it comes to issues we face, how, you know, how, how we should view them. We shouldn't, we should learn from the issues that the black community have faced. You know, we shouldn't constantly go to the system now to solve our problem because the black community have done that time and time again. They've exhausted all efforts and to no avail. And for the Muslims, it's most important to understand that our justice, our um, prosperity, our hope, not just for us as Muslims, but for the whole of humanity can only come from Islam, can only come from Allah and His justice and His, and His, and His haq. Um, so yeah, I'll end off that inshallah. Jazakallah for listening today. Um, bro, do you have any final words you want to say to the audience? No, I think you wrapped it up quite well there. <laughs> yeah, um, so, uh, guys, um, uh, please <laughs> tune in and follow the Link Up podcast. Um, share, like, you know, follow. Um, yeah, um, uh, that's it from us. Assalamualaikum.